0: <laughs> Wake up in the morning, get my grind on. Hop in the shower, brush my teeth, and get my shine on. A scalloped map, we taking trips to different time zones. I feel like ET, wait, these bitches trying to fall home. Wake up in the morning, get my grind on. In shower,
1: brush- Welcome everybody to Living on Purpose podcast, where your host James Hagler and myself, Jason Wilson. Tonight we have John Scott. He's the CEO of EnetLive.TV. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate being here. Uh, no yes, doubt. It's, it's great to have you, man. So, John, we like to um, find out from our guests, you know, how you became the person that you are today. So let's start from the beginning. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: Well, originally, I wanted to be a veterinarian. My grandfather was a, was a vet, and I wanted to be a vet. And then, uh, I don't know, one day, uh, I decided I didn't want to be a vet. And broadcasting was all I could think about. I had taken hmm. one of those, uh, you know, those aptitude tests, those things you take in high school that tell you what you're supposed to be, right, or what what best fits you. So I grew up in Kentucky, and I'd been working on a farm since I can remember, And uh, when I filled it out, I was excited because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be. But something was going to tell me what I was going to be. And that was good enough. Right. So I did the test, did all of that stuff. The results come back and it says your top two career choices should be a farmer or a teacher. And my mom was a teacher and I had my mom in class that year. And I was like, no, no, that's not going to happen. And a farmer, no way. (laughs) <laughs> so after that test, I remember just laying one night, just laying in bed as a, kid, as, you know, a high school senior, just praying and thinking and wondering, and, and what am I going to do? And then broadcasting popped in my head. It was the week before I graduated. Had no clue what I was going to go to college to do. Wasn't very sure where I was going. Broadcasting popped in my head. Next day, I was at the library going through the Dewey Decimal System back before everything was digital. And I got some books on on broadcasting and uh, didn't look back. By the time I graduated high school, I was working at three different radio stations uh, and worked my way through college in radio and in broadcasting. And to make a very long story short, I went from that. I was playing racquetball at the same time. I turned pro in racquetball and was in corporate life at that time, knowing that I needed that training because I wanted to be a CEO and I was good on the air and in broadcasting, but I didn't have the management skills. I didn't have the sales skills and all of those things. So I transitioned into corporate and was there for several years. And during that time, I turned professional in racquetball. And uh, it was in, in those days where we wanted to be on television but we couldn't, it was racquetball. We couldn't afford to be on television. Heck, we could hardly afford to have events at the time. <laughs> um, but I had had a experience in streaming. This was back in 2006. So streaming was just kind of becoming a thing, but nobody really knew what it was and it was expensive as can be. And so I started a little streaming company to broadcast racquetball so people at home could, could watch. And after about a year and a half, I realized, wait a second here, if, if I can make money streaming racquetball, of all things, then I should try other sports. And so hmm. that's back in 06 is kind of the genesis of, of Enet. We started in professional racquetball uh, under the, the name IRT Network, which stood for International Racquetball Tour. Uh, But yeah, we started there, and then we started adding after that first year or so, we started adding other sports, started teaching people, you know, the importance of streaming, the importance of having an audience. Uh, And then YouTube came along and Facebook and offered the same streaming services for free. (laughs) So that knocked knocked us back quite a bit until, uh, you know, uh, well, shortly after, you know, as we're moving out of covid Uh, more and more people are wanting to be in charge of their own streams and of their own content and of their own commercials and so forth and so on. And so after, you know, over the last two years or so, we've been ramping back up, working with you guys, working with, uh, other sports like badminton, volleyball, pickleball, uh, which is believe it or not the worst name in sports for a sport, but also the fastest growing sport in the United States. Hmm. um, so, yeah, that's kind of the cliff notes, if you will, if you will, of the entire from high school, started broadcasting and uh, just kind of worked my way through it. And, uh, and if it wasn't for professional racquetball, I would probably still be a, a call center sales manager or something like that.
0: <laughs> so how far did you get, how far did you get in racquetball?
2: I, my highest ranking was 22. I was the 22 ranked singles pro in the world. And then I was in the top eight or sorry, the top eight in uh, pro doubles. I, so was have, much, I was much better chance? in doubles because my backhand was awful.
0: <laughs> you ever get a chance to uh, play against Jim Jacobs?
2: I know Jim. I didn't get a chance to play with him, but uh, and through being on the air uh, at the IRT Network, I believe I met him a couple different times. Oh, no, no doubt.
1: No doubt. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, though, John. Um, so you started streaming service in 2006, right? hmm Okay, so how many... Back in 2006? okay so how many people did you have watching the stream at that time you know it's a it's a funny
2: thing racquetball and a lot of other sports that seem small are they seem like that because they are small especially here in the states but what streaming offered us is an opportunity into the homes of people globally and so when you look at it yes the u.s was our biggest audience and after our first couple of events people could catch on and they were seeing what we were doing and uh, we would cap out our first couple years. We would have maybe five thousand up to ten thousand people watching. And hmm. then I, I, I actually owned the tour after a while. I bought the whole tour and combined it all into one. And I sold it back in 2017 to another group of investors. And at that time, our biggest events were were fetching between fifty and a hundred thousand people watching uh, at one time. Wow, wow. that's phenomenal. Not good. Yeah, it's a, you know, racquetball, people don't even know it still exists. Lots of people don't know, especially the millennials, They you know, the younger group. Yeah, they don't don't know. What's racquetball? (laughs) I don't know. know. Uh, But yeah, globally, you know, it's huge in South America. In Bolivia, it's the number two participation sport behind soccer. Uh, Lots of other countries. And by going to the streaming, like the rest of the world is doing, it allowed us to capture a significant amount of more people, and then back then, the internet connectivity around the world wasn't that great. So as we kept going through the years, other people started getting better internet and have the ability to watch because back then there wasn't fiber. There was, it was barely better than dial up back then. Right. Yeah. Um, and so as that progressed, just through that natural, uh, that natural succession, if you will, we started accumulating more and more and more.
1: Okay. So, man, I mean, it's it's been a pleasure getting to know you uh, through James and and this wonderful sport of boxing. Um, Have you always been into boxing? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I
2: have. You know, as far back as I can remember, uh, Tuesday Night Fights was a staple in my life. It was the only time from the time I can remember until the time after college. It was the only time that uh, when I would be with dad, especially, you know, like early, early elementary school, middle school. That was the only night I was allowed to stay up late on a school night. <laughs> and we always watched it. I can remember the premiere, you know, the, the first fights of like a James Thunder, you know, all of these crazy stories, but also the best times I've ever had with my dad. Uh, not to throw him under the bus, but back then he had one of those descramblers. So, any pay per view, <laughs> any pay per view. Oh, we, we, ain't
0: right. it. we, it we had one group. of those too. We had like two or three of them.
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, and so, you know, from an early, early, early age, I loved boxing. When, uh, when I started broadcasting, my dream was to be Michael Buffer. I just love Michael Buffer. And when I, I've done boxing, ring announcing, and, and uh, I just think that, uh, you know, when I want to grow up, if I could have, if I even knew there was a chance to be able to be inside of a boxing ring or anywhere around it, you know, curtains, that's all I want. I'm, I'm there. Nothing I'm else down. matters. Uh, yeah. So all my life, uh, I've really been, uh, really been into boxing.
0: That's good. That's dope.
1: Who is your favorite professional fighter from the 80s? Evander, Evander Holyfield.
0: Okay, I got
2: you. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess that's a little later than the 80s. He really didn't. Well, well, he was yeah,
0: in the Olympics. No, I guess he was, he was, he was in the Olympics because he got a raw yeah. deal. Yeah, I he think he a, got a raw deal Uh, when he went to the Olympics. Was it 90, I think it was? It was 90, the 90 Olympic team he was on, I think?
1: 92, yeah. maybe, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, uh,
0: yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. 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 So, I mean, if you're going to go eighties, of course I have to say Hagler. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. But
2: yeah, of all time, <laughs> of all time, Vander Holyfield uh, or George Foreman. Uh, I found out about George Foreman when he came back and my dad would tell me these stories and he was, he was a mythical character for me almost. Uh, and when he hit Michael Moore with that shot, I've never heard my dad scream, uh, like that in my life. I thought it was my mama seeing a snake or something. You know, it was
0: <laughs> no because I, I was I was rooting for him too. I I well Mike, I liked it Michael more. And I think that Michael he should have stayed light heavyweight and dominated that division because everybody was move everybody would move up. Roy Jones, T- James, Tony, he would have got that big fight that he was looked that he was searching for. He just didn't have the patience to stay there. But I thought he was Way better as a light heavyweight than he was a heavyweight. When he went up to heavyweight, he was just too slow. He lost all his pizzazz. And I, just, I just wasn't feeling him as a um, heavyweight.
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, It's probably the atmosphere around the heavyweight division versus really any of the other ones, especially light heavyweight. But well, you're he right. He, no, he wasn't that. getting
0: no big money fights. There was nobody right. there.
2: But he, exactly. all he had to
0: do is stay and dominate.
2: Right. Yeah, I, that was that was one of those positions with him where people the, the the people moving up that are champions moving up weight classes. He he was in that perfect spot to have them come to him. Exactly. And then he would have been able to grind most of them up.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I believe so. Uh, so who do you think will win Jake Paul or Buddy B? <laughs> uh,
2: uh, <laughs> So I'm not a fan of Jake Paul at all. As a boxing fan, especially, I'm not a fan. He, mostly because his his mouth and his you know the way that he acts. But it's kind of you know I mean he's not a terrible boxer. Um, he's so not, I, but he's not my a heart fan. says Butterbean. That's but true. My wallet, my wallet would have to probably say Jake Paul.
0: <laughs> but it, it is true because you got to think about a Butterbean was a real fighter.
2: Mm-hmm. And He
0: was fighting four round fights. You know he, he was the, you know Butterbean was the king the of the fighter. four rounds, huh?
2: I said he was the king of the four rounders. That's what they oh, used to yeah, call he's him. He's the
0: highest paid four round fighter that I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I met him. I met Eric uh, Butterbean. His name's Eric Ash. I met him once in Vegas at a racquetball thing I was doing. And he, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of stories, but he was sitting out in the heat. Well, it was outdoor racquetball on the uh, Vegas Strip. And he was sitting out there and I don't know who it was, Someone was bringing him plates of food from somewhere. He was sitting in this big chair with the muscle shirt thing on. And, and it, it was one of the most comical things. And I was scared to death to go talk to him. And I was a <laughs> fan. You know, I, I knew who he was. Uh, finally, I did. And he was, uh, he was one heck of a guy. But yeah, I would really want to see him knock Jake out flat. I just don't think.
0: It was, it, it was, was funny because I did a radio show with Tim Witherspoon. It's called uh, Knuckle Up. And uh, we we was talking about that. Tim was like, he was like, Buddy Bean would would kill Jake Paul because he was a real fighter. He, and he said he met Buddy Bean. He said Buddy Bean was a real, you know, a real cool guy, uh, nice demeanor about him. And uh, he he really believed that Buddy Bean. He made me think about it because I thought I was like, yeah, he's, he's telling the truth because he, he he was in a couple some real battles and uh, he came out victorious.
2: Yeah, and- as long as age hasn't caught up. To him, where you know he can take a hit and stay up, you know, because yeah. sometimes the older you get, you know, Evander Holyfield showed that in that uh, in the celebrity match or that oh, that, yeah. pre, that deal that he just had the exhibition, right. you know, he uh, he didn't get hit with super solid shots, and he was you know I hated to see him kind of stumble around. So if if Butterbean has all of that with him, I mean, he could hit Jake Paul to the side of the shoulder and probably knock him silly if, uh, <laughs> if he didn't that. Oh
0: no,. no, no. Yeah. What's your favorite all-time fight?
2: Um, man, there's uh, so the most memorable for me was uh, Tyson Holyfield 2, just because of you know how all that broke out, you know shook down. I, I think anybody who watched that fight live will think you know you'll never forget that particular fight.. Right. Uh, yeah. but to get a little cliche, it would have to be probably Ward Gotti. Once uh, once it was all done, you know, I didn't really know what I was seeing when I was seeing it. Right. Uh, there is a lot about boxing I didn't really get. I, it was super exciting. Everything was happening at the same time. I was it, it was it is one of those things that when it's over, you don't really know what you saw until you have a chance to process right. it. Right, right. And through the years, it holds up against time. And then when Arturo died and all of that, it's just, it's a heck of a story. It's a, it was a heck of a fight. So I, I would say probably that one would be my favorite right, of all yeah. time. That was
0: good. They, they fought like three times, right? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think they went around uh, three yeah, times. Yeah. yeah. They're all, they're yeah and a, a close second for me would be when Spinks knocked out Zab Judah because I wasn't a fan of Zab and I was at that fight uh, mostly because I wanted to see Don King and Ellie. Right <laughs> but it was in a, it was in st louis the the crowd was going crazy uh and then uh Sphinx knocked him silly, and it was the greatest thing ever to see like I said I wasn't a big fan of zab judah at the
0: time right right right
1: <laughs> john in the in the world of sports, you know um especially lately we've seen a lot of stories about athletes suffering from mental health uh situations uh, have you ever dealt with a mental health issue in your life along the way?
2: Wow. Well, (laughs) that is quite a question. Um, Yes, I have been around the mental health uh, world for quite a long time with some very good Uh, or bad, depending on uh, how you see it. Uh, Exposure to all different sides of that, from family members to, I I think you guys know, I'm also a firefighter. I live in a small community. Everybody here is on a volunteer. You know, we're all volunteer firefighters. And if you're on duty, it doesn't matter what you're doing. When the tones go off, you go. Now I say all of that to say my tougher issues uh, within the mental health issue has been there, running those calls and, and you can only imagine In the sports world, I have been uh, directly involved with getting the yips uh, with, you know, a lot of that basically where you just have that mental block and you can't perform. I was playing. I was qualifying for or trying to qualify for the U.S. team in Arizona, took a timeout. And when I came back in, I don't know what happened. I could not hit the ball without skipping. In racquetball, you have to hit the wall before you hit the floor. It was like I'd never played before. It was the most bizarre mental whatever, and then it got in my head, and then I it was, it was a big it was a big breakdown that I had, uh, and so yeah, I've seen it from all kinds of different angles. Um, the biggest advice for anyone in the sports world, I would say, would be what my coach would say, and that's live in the now. You've got to live in the now. Don't beat yourself up for whatever you know, whatever sport you're in, whatever just happened. Always give your opponent credit for a good shot or a good hit or a good punch right a lot of people beat themselves up because they think they're supposed to always be doing great but if somebody else has a good whatever it's not your fault they they did something great and so i say that because a lot of people that struggle in the mental health world with sports live too much in that past they're too worried about the other person and don't realize that they're getting beat. They're not losing. They're allowing themselves to get beaten. If you can flip that and kind of work on that, live in the now, it helps overcome a lot of that. Hopefully, that answers your question without getting too granular. Oh, yeah. It does. It does.
0: Yeah. But yeah, you're, 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 you're right. You know, you got to always, you know, you can't live in the past. That, that just, that'll just destroy you because we yeah, all, he, you know, we all make our mistakes. And like you say, you get hit with a good shot, that's okay. All right. You know, my dad used to tell me, he say, hey, you know what? You're in that ring, you're gonna get hit. If you're not getting hit, you're in there running.
2: Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, mean, you're, not, you're not doing your job if you're not getting hit. That's
0: right. Uh, so, you know.
2: Yeah, I've I've been around, I'm an advocate. I do some uh, some talks and, and so forth on the mental health side. I've been exposed to that through family members with bipolar. A family member who committed suicide. And uh, so, like I said, at all different angles, uh, I've been involved or been around uh, that side of
1: life pretty much all my life. Hmm. What do you do um, to stay on top of your game mentally in business? You know, I think the most important thing
2: is one, not overthinking things. People regardless of the size of the business, the idea is always the same. Right? There's there's certain things regardless of how much or how little money that you're that you're making. You got to do some of the simple things all the time. And to me the most important is structure. Right? For me structure is that foundation that I need for the business to have the right people around me. Am I taking care of myself? Because I think I can't take care of anybody else if I'm not taking care of myself. And am I looking ahead? Meaning, am I? do I have what I need to have taken care of now? And what possible things can come at me that I need to pre- be prepared for? Um, and so, you know, for me in business, I would say the most important is that structure or that routine. I start every day, my alarm goes off at 4.45 every day. I don't care when I went to bed. I'm getting up at 4.45. I'm out of the shower by five. I've had my breakfast and cup of coffee by 5.15, et cetera, et cetera, all the way to have I made my bed and are the dishes clean, et cetera. And it it may seem minute, but when you can get yourself into specific schedules, especially at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, then your bookends of the day start and end under your control. You have control of those bookends and you're doing, and that helps, at least for me, stay on track and stay focused. Because during the day, you never know what's going to come at you. But for me, if I stay on my, my schedule and keep my foundation exactly how it needs to be and keep the right people around you, not yes men, but the right people that can tell you no or tell you you're wrong, um, those things to me are the key fundamentals that you really need to to do anything in life, but
1: especially with business. Hmm. Yeah, you said something really, really important uh, that I've seen from, you know, elite performers, um, anywhere from, you know, top performers in sports to top speakers in the world. They have a set schedule, like Mark Wahlberg. I mean, he he goes, to bed at nine thirty at night and he wakes up at three thirty every single day. And you wonder how he, you know, acts, yeah, owns a, a health club chain and, and does all of these other activities. But I mean he has a set schedule that he does every single day and he gets everything done. Yeah, it's it's exactly
2: right. Talking about the the Tuesday night fights, I remember it's you know sometimes in life you'll hear a saying or you'll hear somebody say something and, it, and they can mean it in such a benign way. Bobby Chez, I think it was, he was a heavyweight. Then he was on as an announcer and then he, he kind of tried to make a comeback. It, his, I think his name was Bobby Chez uh, for USA uh, Chez. on the oh. USA network.
1: Yeah. So he, him. he was,
2: uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was asked after or going into one of his last fights um why are you why do you train like you do and kind of similar to what you were saying about mark Wahlberg is he got up at like 3 30 every day and he was done with his road work by like five or whatever that was don't get lost in the details the thing that he said though that has always stuck with me is he said if i get up an hour before my competition every day then i am five hours every week better than what my competition was For whatever reason, that just always stuck with me. It always stuck with me to to be better, to continue to succeed and to to put yourself ahead of those competing against you. You got to be disciplined and you got to figure out what they're not doing. And most of the time they're sleeping and you're awake and you're training and being disciplined to get where you need to go. Being uncomfortable or I'm sorry, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is one of the most important traits in life that I think anyone can learn.
0: Mike Tyson said the same thing. Mike, Mike was like, they was asking why are you up at four in the morning running. You know, he said, because I know my opponent's not up. Yeah. You know, I mean everybody's the edge. It's, it's the type of edge that you need, you know. And uh Bobby Chaz he gave my my uncle his first loss. That was a real good oh, fight. Oh really? Yeah, because Bobby Chaz was middleweight at first and he fought Robbie Sims my uncle. And that was my uncle's first loss. He was the first one to knock my uncle down. Because my uncle switched in the middle. He switched in the inside and got caught. And that's something that you don't do. You don't switch in the inside. If you're going to switch, you switch outside. And he ended up switching inside. And Bobby caught him with a good punch. He was so frustrated. It was, that, was, that, was a, that was that was a real good fight. If you ever get a chance, watch that on YouTube. That yeah. was a real good fight, man.
2: I definitely will. I didn't mean to bring up uh, sore memories for the family oh, no, there. No, but... no, not, <laughs> not
0: at all. That's not so long ago. But it, it, that fight sticks out in me, you know what I mean? Because uh, that was a real good fight between them two. You know, same thing with I ran Barkley. He fought I ran Barkley, and that was a war for him. And, you know, he, it was real good fights that they had.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's just one of those things. I mean, it could have been uh, it could have been Mills Lane. It could have been, you know, Jim Lampley. Uh, but he said it, and I'll never forget it. And I'll I mean, I've I've thought about it constantly. I mean, and that was, geez,
1: thirty years ago yeah. or something uh, like
2: that. You know, maybe longer. Yeah. Oh.
1: John, have you had any mentors uh, that you look up to?
2: Uh, yeah, I've had. I think it's something that's important. Uh, if you don't have any body above you that you're looking up to, a lot of times it's hard to improve. It's hard to be pushed, and it's hard to be held accountable. So having mentors are, you know, is extremely important. Uh, growing up through life, of course, you know, you have your family and your mom and dad. Um, I've had a, a a bit of a different, you know, structure of life, if you will, from on air broadcasting, college sports, corporate life, and all of those things. But through my life, I've had a particular friend. He's about 20 years or so now, older than me. Uh, He was a fan of mine in racquetball back when I played on tour. And um, from a business standpoint, he is uh, one of the guys who retired when he was 50. He made his wealth and he's willing to teach other people if they want to learn. And he scooped me up under his wing. And to this day, he calls me every Monday at noon to check with me. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world on Mondays at noon. He's calling just to ask how I am. And, um, so, so he has been a long, long time business mentor. And one of the more important people,
1: uh, in my foundation. Mm. That's great, man. This has been an awesome interview, John, uh, man, is there a, a last minute thought that you can leave our guests? Last minute thought, you know what? Um,
2: yeah. Absolutely. So I'm a big advocate of being nice. I know it sounds so silly, but um, I always tell people, be kind. Even when somebody's not being kind with you, just be kind. A lot of times on my Facebook, I'm one of the older guys in the world. I have Facebook and LinkedIn. Those are my two, (laughs) but, um, I I will just post, you know, be kind There's so much hatred in the world. There's so much baloney going on and, and there's so much uncertainty, especially now with Ukraine and we forget to be nice and we forget to be kind. And, um, so I guess I'll say that I say that to say this for me, it's important to remember that the right thing and the convenient thing are not always the same thing. And when you look at a situation in your life, there's a right and there's a convenient and sometimes they don't match. And that's when you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: Mm. That's a great thought, man. Thank you so much, John. How can people find you, you, you on? Yeah. How can people find you on social media? Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we're on social. The, the company, Enet Live, is on you know, all of the things, the Twitters and the Instagrams and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, online at www.enetlive.tv. And uh, yeah, check us out. I'd love to uh, love to chat with anybody who wants us to come out and wants us to do some streaming, wants to watch the show with you guys in August. That's going to be huge. Uh, so yeah, check us out all across enetlive.tv, online, www.enetlive.tv.
0: So you got a uh, judo thing coming up too, right?
2: Uh, judo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, we just uh, we just got an agreement with USA Judo, and they're under the organization of uh, Team USA or the United States Olympic com- Committee. And we're doing all their national events, and we start next week in Lansing, Michigan, broadcasting their junior national event. And then we wow. also are doing professional badminton, uh, which starts in April. And, of course, Platform Tennis, which we've been with Platform Tennis now for almost a decade, and uh, we're getting ready to wrap up their season.
0: Yeah, we got to tell all those guys, they got to get on Athletes TV. Put your, yeah. put your videos on Athletes TV. Uh, you can make money with that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a real good platform, and I think they're going to take off pretty soon. He's, uh, he's he's doing a lot of things uh, with that Athletes TV, and I like it. I know it's, it's a little like YouTube, but I think it's a little better because – it's all about sports. That's it.
2: Well, it is. And from what I understand, there's a lot less censorship, uh, meaning, you know, you don't have to worry if you put something up that they're going to want to take it down because something was seen in the background or somebody yelled something in the background, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. But it gives you more control of your destiny. Exactly. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons I like them. They're, they're pretty awesome. And kind of, you know, it's kind of an emerging market. for for what they're doing and giving a platform an opportunity for a lot of people to create income.
0: No doubt. No doubt.
1: Okay, John, man, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, man.
1: Uh,
2: guys, you know what? You're a huge blessing, James. When you and I first talked, I just couldn't—I couldn't tell you how excited I was. The first call I made was to my dad, whose health isn't that great. And <laughs> he and I had one of the best and most fun talks that we've had in a long, long time. Just in getting to talk with you and—and and, you know, Jason, man. You're obviously the brains behind the operation. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, He's my guy.
0: He's my golden guy, man. (laughs) I
2: I, I love you guys, man. I'm so excited to be working with you. We're excited as a team here and uh, good things are are
1: right around the corner. Absolutely. We believe it. We believe in you too, John. Believe it and you will achieve it. Yes, sir. That's how I go. Okay, man. Take care. All right. right.
2: Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night. Thanks for having me. You too.
1: Enjoy. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for watching Living On Purpose Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel.